It's finally spring, and I'm saying goodbye snow, hello adventure. And during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event, you can get epic deals on your favorite Honda model. Ready to get rugged? Then take the off-road in an all-wheel drive Honda SUV, like the CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, or redesigned Ridgeline. Want to take a spring road trip? Then check out a fuel-efficient turbocharged Civic or Accord. Say goodbye to winter and hello to a new Honda. Don't miss huge savings during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event. Now at your local Honda dealer. Welcome everybody back to the Believe in NXT podcast. Like always, it's I, your host, Jacob Lawrence, coming to you live and direct on a Saturday. That's right, we're still here, still giving you that Saturday morning audio dope. Took a little bit of a vacation, but hey, nonetheless, we're back. One half of your podcast, Tag Team Champions. My tag team partner, Mr. Cedric Welton, is not here with me for the intro, which can only mean one thing. Jacob goes solo? No, no, never that. We're a tag team. no. This just means that I'm here to set the table for part two of an interview. So, yesterday you heard the glorious episode that was the reuniting of the turnbuckle. Ben Ross said, taking it back to their college days. The guys got together, talked a few things, started breaking down the Survivor Series card, and we ended on a note of said just slandering Natty for no reason. Natalia just does not deserve that slander. So... I had to put an end to it, come through, let everybody know. We just don't allow that on the show. But nonetheless, we're going to jump things right back off with the guys continuing to break down the card and everything else and a few little sidebars because it's the Believe in NXT podcast, right? So I'm going to shut up, let you guys enjoy part two of this conversation. The gentlemen start things off breaking down the men's traditional Survivor Series 5-on-5 elimination match. So without further ado, here you go. Moving on, because I can I can trash Natalia for hours. But no. we have the men's Survivor Series match, which might be of more high stakes. Team Raw featuring Keith Lee, AJ Styles, Sheamus, Braun Strowman, and Matt Riddle. I said it. Riddle. Matt Riddle. Taking on Kevin Owens, Jay Uso, Baron Corbin. I'm not calling him king anymore because it's been a year. It's been over a year since he was... Crowned king. He's still King Corbin. Have they crowned a new king? Still King Corbin. I'm not calling King King Corbin Corbin if they haven't crowned a new king. How long was Booker T King Booker? I don't know, but it's it's done. (laughs) King Booker. And I actually I actually like Baron Corbin as a man. I think he's a a a awesome chef, and I love him making meats on his Twitter channel. But I don't want to call him King anymore. (laughs) And then. We have Seth Rollins and a member to be determined. So really quick, we've seen the implosion of Team Raw for the past few weeks where AJ Styles is trying to become leader of the team um, to nobody's liking. And also there's this weird angle they're doing with Sheamus and the friendship with Drew McIntyre, which makes you believe, hey, is Sheamus going back to a face turn where it's been a while where he hasn't been? And you see that backstage. Either way, Team Raw is not unified. And here we are, where you have a notable beef with Kevin Owens, Jay Uso, from Jay Uso doing Roman's biddings, Baron Corbin in there for throwaways, so you can have another big man slap meat against the other big men. And we have Seth Rollins, who we know is going to be on paternity leave here 
in another few weeks because the maternity shoots just came out today, if not yesterday. And here we are, a member to be determined, which takes me back to our tag team champions match. Shouldn't it be Big E? We spent weeks for building up Big E while Kofi and Woods were, help, were hurt. Him rallying the troops, the SmackDown roster rallying behind him for these meaningless matches against different superstars. Shouldn't it be Big E to rally Team SmackDown to go in and face Team Raw as a unified front? Short answer lo- is yes. <laughs> lo and behold, I also think Big E should be your sole survivor somehow. That way, you have some stakes attached to this match till whatever we go on WrestleMania season, you say, I'm the sole survivor. I want to take on the Tribal Chief Roman Reigns. I think, in a nutshell, that's how you get here. But, hell, we might get Lars Sullivan as a final member. What do you guys think? And he might be a sole survivor. Only um, to face Braun Strowman at WrestleMania. <laughs> Just keep that in mind. If there were a match in my SmackDown clean sweep prediction, which is a terrible prediction, as we continue through this card, it gets worse. Um, if there were a match where it ends up 5-1, this would be the match. Because even though we've advertised dissension and issues, if there's one thing I've learned from Survivor Series elimination matches, it's that your ability to function as a cohesive unit doesn't mean dick. Um, and that usually teams that are chaotic end up winning and doing better than the teams that are functioning as a unit. Right down to the fact that when tag teams are in Survivor Series elimination matches, they get eliminated. And I've never understood that. Like, wouldn't you think they'd have the advantage in this style match? No, they don't. Because in kayfabe, tag teams are stupid. Um, At least at the WWE level, they are. Uh, The Raw team is stacked. There's some big hosses there. A lot of beef. Look at the beef on that team. Um, just a lot of beef and AJ. But he's got a big seven foot five guy behind him. So, you know, a lot of beef on that team. Matt Riddle, or Riddle, has been just an interesting story for most of this year. Every time he gets used, you know... WWE has the opportunity to control their own narrative right now without an audience. They're going to tell the story they want to tell. I'd be very interested. He, more than anyone, is someone I don't think I can get a real read on because I don't know how a mainstream audience is going to react to him. I don't know how actual fans feel about him because I don't see actual fans, if that makes sense. like He's presented to us in a way that Unlike Keith Lee, who definitely had not only the natural babyface appeal, but also star-making performance last year at Survivor Series, Riddle has been few and far between in a main roster setting, and his call-up has entirely been contained and controlled. Strowman is bouncing around, doing a bunch of nothing. He had easily one of the most uneventful championship reigns, uh, yet until Roman took the title, Probably the most uh, beneficial universal title reign of anyone who's held that cursed belt in the past several years. Um, it's it's tough. Kofi was WWE champion. Put your arms down, Cedric. I, I, I was. Uh, if you read my lips, I was saying Kevin Owens. 
No, no. Owens jobbed out to Goldberg and then had a U.S. title feud with Jericho because that was more important than the Universal title. That, that title, they did nothing to build Owens on that belt, and I'll die on that hill. That said, love Kevin Owens and love Jey Uso in this current role. Love the way that they're turning that. Feel like the momentum should be going to SmackDown. That fifth member could end up being make or break, especially if it is a Big E um, or even a, a Daniel Bryan, perhaps, or just someone of, of a really high nature being that fifth member of SmackDown. I will go ahead and take SmackDown because I can't pick against them at this point. Uh, how they get there, Raw can very easily implode and keep their feuds going. There's not a lot of incentive for SmackDown to lose, whereas there seems to be a lot more for Raw to lose. And that's why it's better if they do. Uh, so on Monday Night Raw, yes, uh, they do have a lot of they do have a lot of talent, a lot of talent that a lot of the WWE universe sees as big name talent. Um, what's really funny is that somebody that has not been mentioned that's in this match. I really don't know what I'm supposed to think of Seth Rollins right now. Like, honestly, he just feels like a throw-in member of this team right now. And maybe that's disrespectful. But, like, what is everybody talking about with Seth Rollins right now? Uh, well, he's feuding with the Mysterios and Becky Lynch is pregnant. He's arguably the biggest get of the draft, though. Would you? Wouldn't you true, say? true. But, like... Do you think Seth Rollins is like even close to being considered for sole survivor of this match? I don't. Oh, well, well, that's for, for me. That's because of the outside of the wrestling world reasons. We know that he should be written off soon, but to not have him in this match would be a bigger sore eye on Team SmackDown, in my opinion. I agree. I'm not saying he shouldn't be in this match. I'm saying... You look at Seth Rollins in this match, and normally if I see Seth Rollins in a match, like, like for instance, we mentioned Team Cena versus Team Authority. Um, without Rollins on Team Authority, that team would have completely fallen apart when it comes to pacing, the story, and everything. Now, I realize that was years ago. What I'm saying is normally when you put Seth Rollins in a match, like he's a focal point. To me, in this match, I don't really know if I see him as a huge focal point of this match. That being said, most of the time, when you have a super talented team and a team of guys that on paper don't look as talented, the team that looks less talented tends to do really well. Not always, but tends to do really well. Um, if you look at the competitors in this match, right? So AJ Styles, his gimmick is, I want to be team captain. We talked about Sheamus. We talked about Bronson. Okay, here's an idea. Does anybody remember that Keith Lee pinned Randy Orton? Yeah, they really capitalized on that, didn't they? Yeah, great job, great job. So then you have Kevin Owens. You have Jey Uso, who's in a big storyline. Say what you want about King Corbin. I mean, he was a focal point of their television for a while, and then they totally wrote him off. You've got Seth Rollins. There's the point of the mystery partner definitely being the linchpin of this match. If it's just somebody to fill out the roster, I think Team Raw wins. Uh, I think there's more to gain from some of those guys continuing the storylines because let's because let's face it. Um, ever since this company has moved to the network to do their pay per views, 
they use their pay-per-views to set up their television. So if you're going to further storylines of, okay, well, they work together for a night, but there's still a bunch of stuff going on on Raw, they can still set stuff up perfectly for the next night of television on Raw. And again, going with my theme, since I've already bookended myself into this, uh, of it being more of a balanced show, this is a perfect opportunity for you to say, you know what? A lot of the guys on SmackDown, it would make sense for that team to win. But somehow, some way, I think Raw is going to pull this out because I think they need to really assess what they have with some of those guys on Team Raw going into Rumble season, going into Mania season. Because again, with no crowd, uh, they've had to do some very creative things. I, I, I've said this once and I'll say it again. WWE has essentially had to do the opposite of what some of these other promotions, whether it's AEW or Impact or any of those other companies that don't do monthly pay-per-views. WWE almost has to do short-term booking. I mean, they can have an idea of where they want to go long-term, but they can't say, hey, our plan in six months is this. Because in six months, anything can happen with what's going on with this virus, okay? So they have to book month-to-month and week-to-week when it comes to their pay-per-views and television. So with all that being said, I'm picking Team Raw to win this match. Out of everything that Ross just said, he said he book-ended himself, and that's where I will try to insert a can-you-dig-it-sucker drop. That's, that's, that's number one. One thing, we, we, we're talking about Seth Rollins here and his meaning behind this match. Seth Rollins actually had an interview. I want to say it was recent, even though um, none of the days make sense anymore. But it was within 2020 where he said he has no interest working in Matt Riddle. And I'm here to tell you that he will eliminate Matt Riddle from this match. Guaranteed. Just because WWE is petty as hell with their writing, he will eliminate Matt Riddle from this match. And you're right. Have they done anything to build off Keith Lee's historic late 2019, early 2020 run? No, they haven't. And it seems like he should capitalize the most in this match, but I can honestly see Keith Lee getting eliminated early just because since he's moved to the main roster, they don't know how to book him. This is something we're going to talk about in part two, but NXT booking has been night and day (laughs) with what the hell they're doing with certain superstars. But here Keith Lee is with no direction. He pinned Randy Orton, first double champ in NXT history, had the big moment with Roman Reigns a year ago in Survivor Series, and now he's in the Raw Survivor Series match. And shit, he might get eliminated by Jay Uso because Jay Uso is hotter than him right now. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? But I agree with Ross. Love it. This, this is going to be tied to whoever the final member of SmackDown is. I'm hanging my hat on it being Big E because it will make the most sense. But I can totally see them putting the freak in the match because we're doing so many promos and saying freak at least 50 times a night on Friday nights with SmackDown. Or maybe they just pissed me off and put Rey Mysterio in the match. <laughs> maybe they or, do something like that. Or, or they could put Dominic Mysterio in the match. Don't don't you more more, don't, more don't, likely. Don't, don't, don't you wish that evil on me, Ross? I I got to go on a record. If Dominic Mysterio is in this match, I probably won't watch. I, I probably won't watch. And it's not because he didn't take the traditional route to 
the main roster. I don't care about them going through the NXT channel. It's just because there nothing excites me there about him being in a traditional Survivor Series match. I can think of so many other wrestlers that could be in this position. Hell, I, I'll even take Murphy or Mojo Rowley. And yes, we try to squeeze in Mojo Rowley references on this podcast. That is an actual thing. And I have fulfilled my quota for the day. Do you know how long this Seth Rollins Rey Mysterio feud has been going on? Too long. I am so uninvested in current Seth Rollins that I need him to, and not a bad thing. I just need him to go away for a little bit. When he comes back, I'll feel good about it. Which is why it would make sense to make him and Rey Mysterio tag team partners on Team SmackDown. I hate that I'm making that reference, but it does make sense. And you know what? Let's just call it what it is. It's our fault. As a wrestling community and fans of wrestling, it's our fault because we hated Burn Burn It Down Seth Rollins so much that they gave us this. They gave us this and said, you sit with this for this long. And we had a summer long rivalry and it's not done yet. Don't think it's done yet because he's having a baby. He's going to feud with Murphy on SmackDown. Go uh, do his paternity leave. And this Murphy thing is going to happen for at least three more months because they're going to do a wedding with Murphy and Aaliyah. Oh, a wrestling you know wedding. You know what? I will commend Rey Mysterio. And you know mm-hmm. why? Because you remember months ago how it was rumblings that Rey Mysterio might go to AEW? I guarantee Rey Mysterio had a big bag of money of Shad Khan's money, Tony Khan's money. But they said, hey, we want you on our show to feud with Ray Phoenix, to feud with Pac, to feud with all these people. And he said, you know what? I'll stay with WWE if you pay all my family. That is a smart business move. And now yep. we have to live with his family on TV every single week for the foreseeable future. That is a smart businessman. And Ray Mysterio, you know what? I never thought I'd see Ray Mysterio botch a 619, but it happened last week. <laughs> and it was awkward as all hell. So he's, he's coming to the tailwind of his career, obviously. He'll get his farewell tour. And then we'll, have to, we'll be stuck with Dominic Mysterio for however long until he sinks or floats, whatever. But on his way out, he got his family a bag, and I respect that. I respect uh, but, the hell out of that. Ah, uh, but remember, after Dominic Mysterio, we'll get Prince Mysterio in a mask, sure. and then and then sure. we can and then we can restart Rey Mysterio's career all over again with him having mask matches for the next twenty years. Why not? Because WWE does that all the time. Sure, sure. You know ben what hates we, me right now. You know what we haven't talked about. Um, since we're floating out names for the final SmackDown superstar and my heart of hearts wants me to say Shinsuke because you guys actually introduced me to Shinsuke Nakamura at Nakamura at WrestleMania in Orlando. And I will die on the hill that I will never forgive WWE for ruining main roster Shinsuke. But, and this is going to tie into the main event of the night. Ben's going to like this. Otis is out there. Can Otis be the final team member of SmackDown? No, because he's on Raw. Or no, he's on SmackDown. I don't know, because he was on Raw like the day after he got drafted. So, that was um, uh, El Gran Gordo, actually. You said I'm going to like this, but you want to talk about complete aimless storytelling. <laughs> I mean, they went nowhere with it for so long that it actually made it completely useless. There's rumors of there being a SmackDown versus Raw match between Tucker and Otis. Oh, great. Cool. 
Hope it's on the pre-show. It, it, of course, well, of course, it would be on the damn. Look, I love Otis. <laughs> they have absolutely just wrecked whatever they were doing with that, and they made everyone who's associated with it look like a goof in the process, and that includes your potential next WWE champion. Potential. I don't. I mean, because they made Miz and Morrison look stupid. They made Otis look dumb. And and again, let me be clear. When that gimmick is in the right context, it's great. But they they way escalated that to a point of stupidity that there was no turning back from. Yeah, because yeah, because Miz and Morrison really needed help after singing the Braun Strowman song. Correct. Unbelievable. Hey, Miz Another and Morrison, highlight. they're they're Apple music songs. They're actually catchy and enjoyable. They they're doing something right. <laughs> what is it? When you find out what it is, let me know. Miz and Morris said. Hey, 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 ho, 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 ho. And there's a hey, 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 oh, oh. It's catchy as hell. It's stupid. But we're in the house all day. So I'll listen to it. Oh, man. That's, that's, there <laughs> that it is, is a that's low bar. Right there. We're in the house all day. So I'll listen to it. So I'm going to throw some names out there. And obviously, I think Biggie should be the final member. We have Alistair Black, who I'll X out right away because they just who? fired his wife. Apollo, <laughs> Apollo Cruz. Who? Cesaro, the reformed Chad Gable, Daniel Bryan, and possibly Otis. Do we think any of those guys will be the fifth member? And it's I would say I, I would say Cesaro, but we know they don't love Cesaro for whatever reason. It's That's also definitely way. not it's also definitely not Alistair Black after he publicly said he wanted to go back to NXT and the company said nope. Nope. <laughs> No, we like not using you on TV up here instead. Of course. We Actually. much prefer not having anything for you to do up here. Uh, you didn't say Lars. Right. Which you well, did but, say several times before. But yeah. I, mentioned, I mentioned it earlier. I mean, I'm trying to give you guys outside of the box. We know they're trying to push Lars Sullivan. We, we, mm-hmm. we know it. I could have said Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode, but they, that, to me, they missed on the re-debut of Robert Roode. Um, tremendously putting him back in the tag team. Do, do you guys really feel like Lars could be the fifth member? Yes. It could, it could set up the WrestleMania match that they're rumoring with Braun Strowman. Oh boy. The work rate in that match. <laughs> Come on, man. Bra- Braun can actually work. No, no, let's look, not do that to him. No, look, look, I, I love Braun Strowman. Okay. They did him zero. In fact, they've done him zero favors since the Brock Lesnar match. Ever since, ever since Brock Lesnar basically said, "I'm not going to work with this guy. I'm not going to put him over," uh, they've they've basically soured on him. So now he's just a big guy that they can use. And by the way, when you have a guy that's that big, jump off the top rope and not win a match, it's over. It's over. It's over. You uh, you kind of did this to yourself, by the way. But remember earlier in the show when I said, "Boy, I hadn't thought about that until you put that thought out there." Dominic Mysterio <laughs> definitely sounds like the right answer. Wow. You're an evil human being. <laughs> I don't I don't want it to be right. You're I would an much, evil, evil I would, human being. I would prefer it was Mojo Raleigh. I would prefer it was Robert Roode. But I would prefer it was Jackson Riker. That doesn't this doesn't play well into your team SmackDown winning the winning the field 
at all. I haven't, I haven't figured. I really, really, really hated that I committed to that over an hour ago. Let's just put it that way. Got Dominic Mysterio as a sole survivor here. That, that was a part of the contract as well, huh? No, no. He, he oh, man. <laughs> what a payday for someone Ooh. with such a future. Twitter will burn. Twitter will burn that day if that happens. And he should, he should go out eliminating Keith Lee. That should be just that, clean. That, that, that should be just a fi- clean pinfall over <laughs> that. Keith that should Lee. be the final two: Dominic Mysterio and Keith Lee, and he defeats him with a six nine, six one nine, and a half a frog splash. Just book it now. A half a frog splash? What does he stop committing to it halfway through when he's in the air? Did you see Rey Mysterio's frog splash on Friday night last week? It was pretty piss poor. <laughs> I think you're aware of how I feel about Rey Mysterio. I think you're pretty aware that I've never been a big Rey Mysterio fan. And that him losing a ping pong ball probably should have been the end of it, but we're still here, one still, of the, still in this feud. I think one of the best moments I can say I've had with the two of you, and this actually leans more towards Ross, and we play the Royal Rumble game uh, every year since college. And I think it was the Royal Rumble in Arizona where I was so excited to be physically at a Royal Rumble. And me and Ross are sitting there and number 30 hits, and it's Rey Mysterio. And I have never felt more flat in my life. Because <laughs> I think we all thought it was going to be Daniel Bryan <laughs> that year. We were waiting for the big pop. It was Rey Mysterio at 30. And, and that would have been Rumble uh, 2014. Rock, rock Rumble. Rock CM Punk Rumble. Uh, that's 2013. So Rey Mysterio was 30, and it was like, whoa. I sat here for hours for that. No, no Daniel Bryan. Okay. That's where we're going with this. Hey, at least we got to see Chris Jericho. We did. That was awesome. Number one. Number one. I think uh, you're, no, I he think was you're, two. You're, you're putting your rumbles together. You're also smashing them together into a memory, uh, which is causing my brain to explode. But I'm just going to let you have your memory, even though your memory is broken. Okay, yeah. Don't, don't smash my memory, because I'm, I'm almost positive I was live for Rey Mysterio being 30. I'm positive. No, not unless you were in Philadelphia, or Pittsburgh, rather. Who would have been 30 that year then? During Ryback? Not much yeah. better. Yeah, Ryback, who was the uh, last guy eliminated. I sat right next to you. You did sit right next to me. So am I wrong? <laughs> in case you don't remember that. <laughs> okay, I could be wrong. I, okay, then that means we're all watching that rumble together in the uh, living room of Ben's house then. In 2014, that would have been right. I think it would have flown out for that. Yeah, and then that means I had... Okay, so you might be right. That means I picked a number out of the hat. My number was 30. My excitement as we had snacks throughout the day, and you guys made me sit through the NHL All-Star game like you guys always do. You, and, act, like, you act like the NHL is a pox on the nation. Jesus. <laughs> and the number 30 pick was... Well, well, here's the thing. Let me give you guys background here. Um, do we need this background? Because I have a feeling I know where this is going. <laughs> Just let me paint the picture. I'm offended. Uh, I went to Arizona State. As you guys know, I'm a black male. I know nothing about there hockey. There it is. There it is. These gentlemen had me sit through the NHL All-Star game for years just to get to the Royal Rumble. And granted, we had to pick between the NHL All-Star game and the Pro Bowl. We would only skip back and forth through the Pro Bowl here and there. So me not knowing anything about hockey, I would have to watch the full All-Star game just to get to the Royal Rumble. So just to paint that picture. Yes. I thought number 30 would be a good number. I think that is also a year that I got our truth. And 
Rey Mysterio was number 30. What's up? That was my pick. Yes, that that definitely happened. (laughs) I mean, I would like to say it could have been worse, but I know factually it really couldn't. No, factually, no. No. Couldn't have been worse. What's up? (laughs) Lastly, so just for the record, roster going with Team Raw because it makes more sense of the storylines. We're sticking with Team SmackDown. We have no idea who's going to be the fifth and final member of Team SmackDown, and we've kind of complicated matters worse with now entering Dominic Mysterio into the fold, which is going to make me smash my head against the wall after this podcast is over. So we're going to jump straight into the final match of Survivor Series before we get in part two of this podcast. That is Drew McIntyre, the newly crowned world champion, taking on Roman Reigns, who is the universal champion of SmackDown. Now, I don't know about you guys. Legit toss-up here um, with who could win based on the booking. We legit saw uh, Drew McIntyre have a WrestleMania-style entrance for Monday Night Raw to take the title from Randy Orton. Here's where one of my predictions comes into play from my recent article. I think there should be a cash-in here because we've done more disservice to Money in the Bank this year than any other previous years of somebody holding it, whether that be with Otis, whether that be with Miz with his legal gymnastics. And don't get me wrong. Miz kind of earned his keep to be a main event star ever since the Talking Smack promo with Brand, uh, Daniel Bryan. I think he's earned that. But if we're keeping score here, it makes more sense for him to cash in on Randy Orton than it does Roman Reigns or Drew McIntyre. So that's where you kind of throw a wrench in everything where it just doesn't make sense. But we have to get rid of the money in the bank before 2021, even if it's an unsuccessful cash in, which I think the Miz can actually survive that unlike the predecessors who had unsuccessful cash-ins in the past. And I think John Cena is actually one of those because Brock Lesnar interferes. So, okay, unsuccessful money in the bank cash-ins. Technically, Ken Kennedy failed because it was taken from him. Edge took it from him, cashed in, and won. John Cena failed his cash-in, and Damian Sandow failed his cash-in. Ben, is there another failed cash-in that I'm missing? Swagger, oh, yeah. Right? No, Swagger no. cash in one. Swagger one? Baron yeah, no. Corbin. Thank you, Baron Corbin. Corbin. That's right, because Jinder Mahal rolled him up. Yes, Swagger won. Yes, he did. But so. Cena had a failed cash in because he made his an actual match, correct? Correct. Correct. He challenged CM Punk like the week before. So for It was for uh, Raw 1000. There you so. go. There you okay. go. Okay. So, yes. So, so, so you're right in that the money in the bank cash-ins, because they used to be, oh, well, you cashed in, you won. And then we've had a couple of failed cash-ins. And with this year just being the cluster that it's been, you know, since Rey Mysterio got thrown off a roof and was on television the next week. <laughs> I know there was an awning. I don't care. He didn't die. He landed. He didn't die. <laughs> he was safe. Well, I mean, if you love that, Ross, I mean, he's still rocking the uh, the half eye patch over his mask, and I think he just revealed it to, have, to his eye being visible this past week. So, yeah, I'll still I'll still never forget Seth Rollins puking after that. So, thanks, Seth. Thanks, WWE. Appreciate that. Yeah, let's you suspend know, our relief beliefs on those things and just forget yeah. they happened. It's <laughs> yeah, great. Cons- consistency is really important, guys, and there's a historical consistency to uh, why they don't learn their lessons here. So I'm going to go back in my time machine, 2016, 
the first year they started the brand versus brand Survivor Series theme. And that was fine. Because if you remember, that was the year where there was just three brand versus brand matches. And they were all Survivor Series elimination matches. It was our five best women versus your five best women, our five best men versus your five best men, our five best tag teams versus your five best tag teams. And that was fine. And in 2019, the focus was pretty much the same. Our best women versus your best women. Our mid-card champions versus your mid-card champions. Our best tag team versus your tag team. Um, best men versus best men. The world title picture was not included last year. It was uh, three individual one-off matches. You know, uh, Lesnar fought Mysterio. We had Adam Cole and Pete Dunne in a match that people tend to forget about that took place on a Survivor Series pay-per-view. Um, and then the, uh, we also had, would have been, uh, what would it have been last year? Would have been uh, the Universal title match. I'm drawing a blank. Look at that. I blew it. Anyone? Anyone? Any help on last year's Universal title match? Wasn't the match last year, since NXT was in part of Survivor Series, wasn't it? Adam Cole. Uh, I was the fiend, actually. It was the fiend versus Daniel Bryan. That's why I forgot it. And then it was Adam ah. Cole versus Pete Dunn. Was the Adam Cole, Pete Dunn, fiend versus Daniel Bryan. Yeah, they include Adam and then, Cole. In that and match. Lesnar, Mysterio. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to draw those away as not examples. Now, the other two Survivor Series events that have taken place in this era of Survivor Series have had a world champion versus world champion match. And you know what we're very easy to forget that I thought about right at the top of this show? I've been holding on to this information since we came on the air, since we started this podcast. Um, we have had a bait and switch for the world title or for the champion versus champion match in the world picture every year they've done it. We've gotten a bait and switch. They promoted Jinder Mahal versus Brock Lesnar. He dropped the belt to AJ weeks before the show. They promoted AJ versus Lesnar too. He dropped the belt to Daniel Bryan. They promoted Randy Orton versus Roman Reigns. And on the go-home show of Monday Night Raw, he drops the belt back to Drew McIntyre. To Ben's Mike, credit, this is why I call this man a almanac, because he forgets more stuff than I will ever remember in the history of wrestling. Good you point. Know, they, they booked themselves into a corner when they say, we'll just do champion versus champion. And then they rebook it, make the titles mean less. You, you made Randy Orton's Hell in a Cell victory mean absolutely nothing. Um, which, as, as brought up previously, a lot of his title reigns mean absolutely nothing. And that's kind of disappointing in a way, because I am very tired of watching Randy Orton versus Drew McIntyre, even though every match has been great. I'm just tired of it, because it's an every week thing. And I do think it's going to continue after this. Uh, Roman Reigns is, this is peak Roman Reigns. Why didn't they do this years ago? Questions abound. You know, everyone always joked about Cena turning heel and why it would never be done. Boy, I get that there's this alternate reality where Cena turned heel and it all turned out well, but it's a huge risk. And it was a huge risk to turn Roman Reigns heel, even with uh, what a lot of pundits will say. Otherwise, this has been a marquee, marquee run for Reigns already. Uh, very excited to see where it goes. You talk about Miz cashing in. You talk about how it's kind of right down the middle. You don't see a clean job in this one. 
I know that this is a gigantic cop out, but it's kind of what I'm thinking. Miz cashes in mid match, makes it a triple threat match, and whomever wins, they're the one they pin Miz. And then nobody looks bad. Nobody loses face. Uh, it's a it's a really generic junkie ending to a match. But hey, I'm not really paying to see pay per view anymore. Like I pay nine dollars a month, not forty nine dollars a month. So you can give me generic and junkie in a main event, and I kind of have to accept it sometimes. And I could see that happening. And uh, if that does happen, uh, McIntyre hits him with a claymore. Reigns throws him out of the ring because he's a dick, and he pins Miz, and that's it. And SmackDown runs the table. That's my prediction. The uh, the other way of that is that McIntyre he cashes in. McIntyre claymores him, and we go off the air with McIntyre standing tall over Miz, which isn't really a positive either. But you know, you get what I'm saying. That's 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 my thought on it. All right. So, as much as I hate that idea. I could totally see that happening. So I will give credit where credit is due because that is an absolute total WWE way of getting out of not making Drew or Roman look bad, getting rid of the money in the bank, still keeping Miz strong and continuing everything that they're doing on both shows and have it be status quo. That's actually like the perfect way out of it. Um, Money in the bank took place in what month? Does anybody remember? Uh, This year, Money in the Bank took place in May. Okay. So, possibly June. Okay. Please. It was the first pay per view after Mania, if I'm not mistaken. So, that would be May. Money in the Bank was held in May, May 10th. Okay. So, unless they change the rules, which, you know, WWE follows their rules all the time, right? Um, Don't you have a year to cash in? Yes. So, they have until May. Okay, so they could technically wait until after after Royal, or I should say after this event, after TLC, after the Royal Rumble, after Elimination Chamber, after WrestleMania, and do it right before the next one. See, this goes back to why I hate Money in the Bank as a contract idea in the first place. You make it easier to win Money in the Bank than it is to just statistically. The Royal Rumble was always the big, you get your title match if you win this match thing. Mm-hmm. Well, in the Royal Rumble, you have to beat up to 29 other people. Whereas in Money in the Bank, you have to beat up to seven other people, or eight other people, or six other people. And then you incorporate into that the benefit. The benefit of winning the Royal Rumble is a guaranteed world title match at a set time and date. The benefit of Money in the Bank, a less difficult achievement is you can get it anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Doesn't matter what shape the champion's in. Um, I realize this is way overanalyzing uh, something that's that's not real, that's, that's a show, but it's not written. Money in the Bank is not written from a kayfabe standpoint uh, to be correctly strong enough. And then you, you draw in the other problems, and we've seen it before, where Money in the Bank winners, namely Dolph Ziggler and Carmella, have participated in the Royal Rumble match. Like, what's the end game? Win one, win the other, have both belts? Well, sure, if that were ever brought up, logically, it's not. 
I want Miz, I want Money in the Bank this year to be kind of erased from history. But to be honest with you, the last number of years for both men's and women's, the Money in the Bank contracts have meant very little. Uh, the women's contract has been resolved. I don't think, you know, with the exception of Mela, it's the only one that took a long period of time to resolve. The women's contract has resolved within 48 hours of being decided in every other instance. So I guess what I'm saying is I need this one to resolve too, or else my brain won't accept a continuation of this storyline. So, so I mentioned that and, and I apologize that I took that offshoot to, uh, because we're talking about drew versus Roman. I understand that, but I had to get that out there because I understand just getting rid of it, but that's kind of the beauty of the situation is as much as they want to get rid of it, they still have time to figure out like anything better. Ross, to your, to your credit there, you feel like they have some time to think about something better with Miz or does Otis finally try to get revenge from losing the briefcase. And they say, Hey, we finally figured out a way from Otis to get his briefcase back and make sense of him being a champion. No, no. I think if you're okay, look, if you're putting Miz in this situation, you do all the vignettes as, as corny as the legal crap was that they did on television. You did that angle specifically for Otis to lose it and Miz to win it. You specifically did that angle to do that. So now it's take advantage of it or don't because, because otherwise it'd be very easy for Otis to just be a dumb baby face cashing in at like the worst time ever. And then they just get rid of it. They could have done that, but they made it a very big point to say, okay, Miz is the money in the bank winner now. And yes, I think, you know what I honestly think happened? I think they said, well, everybody's expecting him to cash on Orton. So let's just put the belt back on drill. Fair. That way. Now, that being said, I don't think he's going to cash in in this match. I think they've got more time to figure out something for Miz where either Drew gets screwed out of his title again, and then Miz cashes in somewhere along the way, and then you can figure that out later because they can just do that, okay? Because as much as I don't like playing hot potato with the belt, at least you've got time to figure something out. Or you could also do the storyline, which this would be stupid too, is... Right when Miz is about to be cash in, you do another angle where Otis finds a loophole to where, oh yeah, actually, uh, I should still have the briefcase, and then time runs out and no one cashes in. That would be dumb too, but I could see WWE doing it. Back to the match, I've 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 taken my tangent far enough. Um, I love the prospect of this match. Uh, uh, both of these, both of these men are two of their most talented people they've had in this company for a long time. Um, as much as I still have the missing part in my brain of Roman still not cut the promo of why he just all of a sudden turned heel, that still bothers me to this day. Um, but everybody gets what they want. They got a heel turn and they're booing him. Like they're not openly cheering heel Roman reigns, which is what they were afraid of for a long time. Um, because that's what would have happened if they would have turned John Cena heel is they would have cheered him. And that's not what they wanted. Um, Drew's going to made going to be made to look very strong, but I don't see any other outcome than Roman reigns spearing him and beating him. Um, you can say maybe he wins nefariously. Um, 
or by or by nefarious means, but I just don't see any outcome because Drew losing to Roman doesn't hurt him. Whereas Drew beating Roman clean as a babyface, I think kicks a little of the heel Roman Reigns mystique off of him. I can't believe I'm saying that, but Roman Reigns losing this match, I think hurts him. And I realize it's a heel and we're not supposed to care that a heel, you know, is, is, is being diminished because a heel can immediately just get their heat back. I understand that, but Drew losing to Roman does not hurt him and it doesn't impact anything on raw. And I don't think you need to clutter that up with anything else other than Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns having a fight. And I think that's what we're going to get. And I think we're going to see Roman Reigns win. There's a couple places where I can go with this. And I'm glad we're talking about the money in the bank. And we can argue all day as far as why they actually put it on Otis, why they took it off Otis. But here's my take. I think once they finally got win that Roman can actually come back in this COVID world, they thought, oh, shit, we're definitely not going to have this guy be a champion and in this world where he's the face of Fox because we have Roman here. Let's find a way to get the briefcase off of him. Enter the Miz, who in this world, it doesn't hurt for the Miz to have a unsuccessful cash in. But when you're trying to build new stars, it would hurt Otis to have an unsuccessful cash in. Now, I think there is a plan for Otis because they split heavy machinery, but I just don't, doesn't, don't think it exists in 2020 and maybe not even 2021 at this point with Roman as the face of Fox. Because when you look at the things behind the scenes, it's supposed to be a USA versus Fox branded Survivor Series, which they haven't had us in the weird war rooms for the past couple of weeks like they did the draft. But that's what it's supposed to be. Now, looking at this match, I like Ben's take. Love your take too as, as well, Ross. We just had a bunch of Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre matches, I feel, in 2019, where Roman came out on top, if I remember correctly. Now, with this new iteration of Roman, me personally, the cynical part of Cedric, I think this should just be a goddamn bludgeoning because that's how hot Roman Reigns is. (laughs) Roman Reigns should beat the dog shit out of Drew McIntyre, and we should go home that way because that's how you should paint him. Since, since he's that way. But since we're being realistic, I think one of three things is going to happen, and it involves three people. I think Jay Uso which will possibly get involved. I think The Miz will make a half attempt at a cash-in, meaning he will come in, and either Jay Uso will block it, or it will be unsuccessful, causing enough distraction for, of Drew McIntyre to where Roman hits a spear, and then we're out of here. Ball game. Uh, Reigns wins the match. Or, like to Ben's point, I don't really know if this Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton stuff is over with because we don't know when Edge is finally returning. We know that he's possibly healthy. We don't know when he's returning. So I can easily see Randy Orton hitting an RKO out of nowhere. Roman Reigns picks up the pin that way. One of those three men is going to interfere in this match of some capacity to give Roman Reigns the necessary win over Drew McIntyre to where both men are still somewhat protected. Roman Reigns still looks like this badass. Drew McIntyre didn't lose too clean to where it hurts his aura of just getting back the title. But part of me is just like, if you're going to do it, because we just saw Drew lose clean to Orton and Hell in a Cell, if Roman Reigns has this power of 
Paul Heyman's voice behind him. If we're just going to forget that Paul Heyman was an advocate for Brock Lesnar and now he's empowering Roman Reigns, it should be a goddamn bludgeoning. Because I'm pretty sure they had a WrestleMania match last year and Roman went clean over Drew McIntyre. What's changed? I think they empower Roman Reigns a lot more than they do Drew McIntyre, even though we spent this year making McIntyre a main event star. And I'm going to let Ben take it from here. But just so you guys know, I'm keeping track. We have moved over to Money and the Wank from King Corbin making meats, I believe, was the one previously before that. The name changes. Trying to stay consistent. Ben? Uh... What's changed is that McIntyre is a main eventer now. Finally, the main eventer he should always have been. I mean, you just look at a guy like that. I've said this for so long to anyone who will listen. Look at that guy. Look at that guy. That guy is a world champion. Look at that guy. That guy is a main eventer. As much as it would be a statement to have Roman just destroy him, there's no two ways about it. The only way I see Roman Reigns destroying him, and it's a very short point, I don't have a lot to this, is if, right before the match, Orton beats the shit out of McIntyre. And then McIntyre is too pride or too proud and too noble to know when he's been beat, and he gets in the ring beaten up, and Reigns finishes the job. Could see that, too. My concern, I guess, is that a lot of these scenarios point out that this should be the main event on Sunday and every single one of them turns it into a spectacle that is not a very good wrestling match. It might be a good sports entertainment angle and it might be a good main event to a raw or a SmackDown, but realistically the main event of this show happened on the go home raw. And now we're looking at a match that looks like there's, there's no two ways to have, a 25 to 30 minute match between these two and have it be great. I could be wrong. Uh, Brock Lesnar and Daniel Bryan closed the survivor series and did a phenomenal job of it in a, in a match that at that point, the air had already been let out of the arena on the entire night. And yet they managed to close with a very strong showing. So I could be wrong. Uh, I would be fine being wrong. I've been wrong many times before. But a lot of the scenarios that we detail as fans and as those armchair bookers, they're not ultimately the most satisfying. I don't know what the most satisfying answer to Drew versus Roman is right where they are currently in their careers. I suppose the most satisfying answer is don't do the goddamn match and book Survivor Series. Um, But, you know, we've spent two hours kind of tiptoeing around that concept, and that's that's how I feel about it is that you really don't give us a clear picture as to why this match is happening. Um, they have not outwardly really been feuding with one another, save for a drew promo on SmackDown last week. I suppose the go home SmackDown will have some level of, of coordination about it. But uh, as has been brought up to me before, we've yet to really run the invasion angle yet. So one has to assume that's what's about to happen. So just just as a just as a, a a small addition to this, okay, we talked about the fact that there are no stakes on this show, whether it's a Survivor Series match or the fact that we have champion versus champion. 
if you were to tell me that Drew versus Roman, right? If you were to tell me the winner of this match doesn't have to face the Royal Rumble winner. That's a storyline. That gets me intrigued to say, oh, well, should Roman just automatically win this match? Can they book it to where Drew wins and Roman has to face the Royal? It just adds layers to more storytelling. Now, I realize what the addition is. Well, you pigeonhole your Royal Rumble winner to face one champion. Well, that champion can change. It just adds more storytelling. It adds more anticipation. It adds something else to a Survivor Series, which I've basically called bragging rights because that's pretty much what it is now. But that's just a small wrinkle into something to at least get me a little more intrigued because that's what we all want out of our pro wrestling matches is we either want a little bit of doubt or a little bit of intrigue or, you know, on top of storytelling, good matches, everything that we normally look for because we're diehard fans. But that's just an idea of how you could bet even more interest in something that even though we've seen a lot of it before, it's been good. And it just, it just, it just adds more to everything. That's just me. All right. So I think we're in consensus here that we feel like it's going to be Roman Reigns one way or another. So just to recap, Ben is calling a clean sweep for SmackDown. I to to correct myself earlier, prediction suicide. I have four two SmackDown with the Raw matches that they win being the New Day as well as the Women's Survivor Series match with Lana possibly being the sole survivor. Ross, I know you had some Raw uh, takes in here. I believe you have it have an edge for SmackDown as well. So I picked Sammy. The Street Profits, Team SmackDown on the women's side, and Roman. But I picked Asuka, Team Raw for the men's, and I'm assuming that we're going to have more matches added on the go-home show of SmackDown that somehow Raw will just win. So So, there you go. So right now, me and you are both 4-2. Correct. In that regard, Ben is clean sweep. Now... Stupid idea. (laughs) So that's a look at what we feel like is going to happen at survivor series. There's a lot of stuff that might still be booked. A lot of stuff that is not per se predictable yet, because we don't know how the full card is going to shake out. Um, We're going to take a quick break here. Let you hear from our sponsors because we have been rambling a bunch. I love having these gentlemen back. This is the first time the turnbuckle has been back. And I believe a decade. I'm not going to give you the exact date because I'm aging myself and I don't want to do that. But we have to come back and talk some other stuff within the WWE wrestling community world as well. Talk about the current state of NXT, which is lovely. And I'm going to whisper before we take this break and say, Ben Balor is actually the more exciting champion in all of WWE. But we'll be right back. All right. Welcome back, everybody. I'm back with the turnbuckle on the Believe in NXT podcast. And we want to just simply talk about some stuff that we always get into on NXT podcast. Of course, your normal sidebars. One thing after our Survivor Series coverage that I wanted to talk about is the state of NXT. Because if it wasn't for these two gentlemen, I would have never watched or been introduced to the NXT brand as a whole. Now, we just did a podcast that you have heard by now where we talked about everything that's happened since Halloween Havoc 
And spoiler alert, if you haven't listened to it, I hate that I'm saying this. I really do. But Pat McAfee is the best heel in professional wrestling. (laughs) Believe it or not. And there's a strong claim to that. I want to ask you guys, have you guys followed up with NXT brand? What do you guys think of the current storylines? Top to bottom, women's division, Finn Balor being the champion. We obviously got the announcement of War Games coming back, as well as just what's going on mid-card-wise with, believe it or not, Leon Ruff is the North American champion. So there's a lot that we can throw around here. All right. So, um of course, I've watched NXT and uh, AEW Dynamite pretty pretty religiously, especially since they've now gone head-to-head uh, this whole time. Um, if there's one thing I think NXT does pretty consistently well, I think they do their main event stuff pretty well. Um, and that's dealing with the fact that you know, sometimes they have long-reigning champions. Sometimes they just, you know, it's very story-centric. But I think NXT's goal is to get their, what they perceive, their main event guys ready for the inevitable day when Vince just decides, I'm taking you. And that way, they're at least strong enough to where they are. Um, I have not been a fan of most of the booking when it comes to the North American title. That's my opinion. Um, I know what they tried to do with it. Um, we, I won't call the belt cursed, but I think the purpose of that belt could have been so much more than it's been. Um, I don't get the whole Leon Ruff as the North American champion. I don't get it. I don't. Maybe I'm in the minority. Maybe I am. Um, the Pat McAfee stuff, I was very confused about it first and they've parlayed it into something interesting. And unfortunately for their women's division, and I realize I'm going very fast through this, but I'm just giving you my general points is the problem with their women's division is right. When they start to have something that's worthy of either a long feud or they're ready to build around something. I feel like it's like, well, We better get him ready for the main roster. Like they did so many great things with Shayna Baszler. And now, so, so basically their women's division has the constant problem of, okay, well, we've got to build everybody all at the same time, but we can't build everybody at the same time because that's not how you book wrestling. So in order to book everybody at the same time to get them all ready, you shortchange yourself because you're not really putting anybody over a thousand percent. It's all it. To me, that's that's how I view their women's division. It's good, but I just feel like it's missing something, so to speak. So, as a whole, NXT as a wrestling show is a good show, but it's not it's not a sports entertainment show. It's a wrestling show. It is it's it's marketing itself as a wrestling show that's getting people ready for sports entertainment which is kind of a weird dynamic to have because you're having a wrestling show to go to a place where they're not going to really be a part of a wrestling show. So that's my overall thoughts on NXT. It's a good show. It's just, it's fitting a very particular audience. That's going to lose a lot of traction after they're not in that niche, so to speak. So, you know, you talk top to bottom 
and we have our definitions of what we think is top and bottom. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, at the top of NXT, I couldn't disagree with Ross more. I think the top of NXT right now is their women's division. So I don't hold on, think hold on, there's... hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. I did not mean to say the women's okay. division is the worst thing in NXT. I just mentioned them last. So I apologize if I gave that that assumption. They have a very good division. I just mentioned them last in my list. The North American title has been a total waste to me. And by the way, I didn't even mention their tag team division. I won't even go there. So I just, I just wanted to point that out. So I just wanted to clarify that. Please continue. Go ahead. Then I think we're going to have a little bit more firm agreements here coming up because to me, it's the most flushed out division. The women's division is absolutely 100% uh, flushed out in NXT. There are storylines. There are title defenses. There are excellent matches. Io Shirai, is put the division on her back, has become a star. Um, you would have thought turning her heel with the kind of gimmick she had would have been uh, a very bad move. Turns out they can do no wrong. Every time they turn someone heel or face in NXT, they do no wrong. You're talking about... I talked about how hollow I felt that Raw and SmackDown had become when they lost you know, the horsewomen, when they lost some of these bigger names in the... Sp- of a, a year and the truth is there's a necessity to call up some of those stars and make them into something but they haven't done anything with Shayna Baszler they haven't done anything with Bianca Belair and then you look at the NXT women's division you look at Rhea Ripley still being a force in there you look at what they've attempted to do with Dakota Kai as a heel you look at the reintroduction for Ember Moon and Tony Storm and you look at how Shotzi Blackheart has this incredibly great, pure babyface fire um, in everything that she does. They've got a lot of uh, Raquel um, Gonzalez, who I continue to call Reina because that's how I saw her, was as Reina Gonzalez, and they renamed her. I believe they're going to be getting Mercedes Martinez back after a period of time where they could just ignore that she was ever going to be part of Retribution. There's a lot of talent. Uh, Indy Hartwell has come up very nicely. And I haven't even mentioned Candice LeRae yet. Like, that women's division is so complex and uh, so different that they can put on different feuds. They can put on multiple ones at once. And it doesn't feel like it's bogging down any content. It feels very, very good. It feels very, very fresh to the point where I'm of the belief that we're going to see Rhea Ripley get her call up. Um, sooner rather than later, I have a feeling they're going to shoehorn this idea that Charlotte Flair, you know, wouldn't it be grand if old Charlotte gets the belt off of Asuka sometime before Mania and Rhea Ripley sometime before Mania, like the Royal Rumble, gets a big win and now you've got last year's match in reverse and kind of, you know, there's a lot of thought that this year's Mania might be a makeup Mania. And that's another match that I would throw on that card and say, it's a good chance something like that happens. Um, the men's division, the men's side of things, uh, as you brought up, I, it's not worth commenting on NXT's tag team division. It has fallen apart. They've hot potatoed their titles uh, so often that the, it was actually a highlight to have Imperium on. But the truth is, they're not part of that NXT brand. They're part of NXT UK. Um, you've got Brizango which is perfect in their element in NXT. And then you've got uh, Birch and Lorcan as the champions. The Undisputed Era hasn't been on TV very much. There are no other tag teams. They've been very, very, very hollow. 
Um, you've got teams like EverRise that could eventually be something, but certainly not right now. You know, they're they're jobber fodder. They're just there to be there. There's a slew of wrestlers currently on NXT's roster that don't seem to have any aim towards either the world title or the North American title. Now, I realize Finn Balor got hurt after Karrion Cross got hurt, and they've had a lot of issues filling the world title vacancy. Leon Ruff on the North American title is clearly a plot device. It's kind of a fun thing, but it's clearly a plot device for Damian Priest and Johnny Gargano. Then you've got Cameron Grimes, Bronson Reed, uh, Dexter Loomis, Velveteen Dream, Tommaso Ciampa, just a ton of guys not fitting into any one specific role. We had the War Games teaser tonight. The Undisputed Era is back. Obviously, Birch, Lorcan, Dunn, and McAfee versus Undisputed Era is the natural fit. Doesn't really do any favors for Balor. Um, doesn't really do any favors for anybody else in there. So I guess right now the state is uh, state of flux is the best way to put it. I think the content is very, very good. I would tell anyone who's listening to this to watch tonight's NXT uh, in its entirety between important storyline revelations for war games and, from what I can tell, a very good match between EO and, and Rhea Ripley, you, you've got a decent enough amount of content to want to watch. But you've got to go somewhere with it. And that's where, you know, we talked about they don't have a pay-per-view every month like WWE does. They're operating less on the AEW schedule. There's about six takeovers a year, you've got to have some kind of focus, and they're just now building their focus back after doing a special event show like Halloween Havoc, or doing other one-off shows. They don't seem to focus for long enough at a time, and maybe that is because of the world they're living in. It's definitely a state of flux. Part of it is environmental, part of it is their own creation, but it's hard to forge an identity for what this NXT is going to be outside of the women's division in any of the other spots. It just seems like a big melting pot. If I had to ask you guys just, and cause there's so many things I can point out to as far as egregious booking over the year, Keith Lee having such a short title reign after crowning him a double champ, uh, Bianca Belair losing to Charlotte Flair to a half to a no sale spear and Riptide, there's a bunch of things I can point to that were misses. Even recently, I think Candice LeRae should have went over Io Shirai, Halloween Havoc. As far as storylines, because they're vast from top to bottom, is there a storyline that you guys gravitate to as your favorite? And I'm just going to start, and I'm going to say, because if you listen to this podcast, you know I have hated Cameron Grimes since the genesis of his character in the breakout tournament. I lost a bet. I had to buy Cameron Grimes merch. I will wear it for you guys on social media eventually. Gross. Exactly. It's a brown shirt. I have come around on Cameron Grimes a little bit as a chicken shit hill. And I am actually interested in the Cameron Grimes Dexter Loomis feud as it continues to grow. Do you guys have any storylines that you guys tend to gravitate to? Um, Adam Cole versus Pat McAfee. The Pat McAfee, Adam Cole storyline from the minute Cole lit him up on his show to the match, which was very good. Um, predictably so because McAfee had been training and has a ring and has a facility to do those kind of things at, uh, past those 
I don't think I've had time to invest in other storylines um, because they they have changed so frequently. I don't really care for the Champa Velveteen Dream storyline. I don't really care for the Garganos as heels when they don't win enough matches to stay on top when they're losing consistently. Uh, I really, really liked the Karrion Cross gimmick, but through no fault of his own, that was taken away from us. And then right before the quarantine, speaking of taken away from us, we lost the Finn Balor-Walter storyline that we were getting. It has been, which, which inarguably would have been the greatest thing to happen to, to NXT this year um, until Walter and Dragunov happened and for UK. So I have to, by default, say that it's Cole versus um, McAfee. The only other thing I kind of was anywhere close to, and again, no fault of their own, was Dakota Kai's feud with Tegan Knox into Shotzi Blackheart, into you know the all-encompassing Rhea Ripley, Raquel Gonzalez. It seemed like there were a lot of hands getting involved in that feud. But uh, then, of course, Tegan Knox tears her ACL for the third time. Like, through no fault of their own, they have lost everything that compels me to watch. So I have to watch, and they just kind of have to hopefully get to something, and maybe it will stay on paper and an execution for longer than two weeks. Maybe it won't. I never thought, I never thought that the most intriguing thing on NXT television would be anything involving Pat McAfee. And here it is. It's the best thing on NXT. And by the way, I know I didn't mention the uh, the tag team division, which is awful um, right now. Even though I love Birch and Lorcan, they're very solid workers, and they basically fit every match they've ever been in. Even though, like they're I, they're about as they're about as vanilla as it gets. But you need those type of workers in your company. So if you're going to put guys that work that make everybody look good and they put themselves over, can't I mean they're they're not. They're not terrible. Um, that's probably part of the problem with NXT for me right now. Even though there's always good work, there's not really a t- like. Honestly, I'm more interested to see when Walter's actually like gonna be in NXT full time, and I don't know if that's ever gonna happen. But that's not really a storyline because he is the face of their UK brand. They'd be foolish to do that. So, yeah. Almost by default, it's the Pat McAfee storyline. It has to be. And like you said, I agree with you. Pat McAfee has been very entertaining through his own annoyance. Is there anybody more annoying, maybe outside of Sam Roberts, who just makes, who just draws you in? And for whatever reason, Pat McAfee is doing this right. He actually. Has trained, he can work in the ring, good on the mic. He's actually helping getting Lorcan and Birch over, which says a lot. So he studied the game, been around the company on the pre-shows, doing a thing on the mic for a while. He's doing it right. It's a very intriguing storyline, which will culminate December 6th in War Games against Undisputed Era, which we now know. Uh, we're getting the babyface Undisputed Era, whose War Games record is one and two. So you can kind of expect them to go over there, possibly, unless there's a bigger play for Pete Dunn, who's the wild card and all this. 
with the long-term storytelling with him being turned on by uh, Roddy Strong when he originally joined the era. We have some things that I want to get off you guys' chest before I let you guys go. And these are the never-ending debate topics that exist on this podcast. Now, there was one that I brought up off the air earlier, but there's actually another one that I forgot to mention that I'm just going to throw out here first. When we talk about match of the year across all brands, and you guys might poo-poo on this, but I'm only going to give you two choices and you got to pick. Firefly Funhouse versus Stadium Stampede. Which one is better and why? Firefly Funhouse. That's not a question. Stadium Stampede was entertaining. It was stupid fun. I really enjoyed watching it. I can watch Firefly Funhouse over and over again because it was a career encapsulation for John Cena. It ended a feud. It was extremely creative. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before when I had seen it. I have seen Stadium Stampede variations or matches like that many, many times. It's really fun. doesn't deserve to be taken out of a fun level, but if I'm being sports entertained, Firefly Funhouse was my number one of those two. Uh, I'll be very quick. Uh, 20 years from now, we are going to remember the Firefly Funhouse match. The stadium stampede match will be something in the lore of AEW that will be something fun to look back on. But when we look back on the Firefly Funhouse match, um, that was their first real deep dive into a cinematic type of match. And if that would have failed, we would not have gotten pretty much anything after. I mean, they were going to do the Boneyard match, but I mean, that could have gone completely the other direction in a negative way because we had so many bad connotations of the fiend and Bray Wyatt and so many bad memories of that character that that was something that will be unforgettable in the history of wrestling as a whole. Firefly Funhouse match for me, hands down. Just so you guys know, my pick on that was Stadium Stampede because it was fun. It was different. And I, and you know what put me over the hump? And you guys know this about me very well. It was the reincarnation of version 2.0 Matt Hardy. Of course it was. That, that, that put me over the hump. Under the water. I don't know why. I popped for that. It was hilarious. That put it over the hump for me, even though it's very canny, gimmicky, if you would. Um, I think Stadium Stampede actually has legs to become a yearly thing. I think so, Big too. difference. You're right. Uh, Big it, difference. Uh, very apples and oranges comparisons, though. Next one. I want you guys to each rank the four horsewomen. I'm not going to sway you guys, but I'm going to let you know my ranking. I have Sasha, Bailey, Charlotte, Becky. In that order. Charlotte, Sasha, Bailey, Becky. Charlotte, Sasha. Charlotte, Sasha, Bailey, Becky. Uh, Charlotte, will, Charlotte can work a mop to a good match. So, I will go with Charlotte, Sasha, Becky, Bailey. And I have never been the biggest Bailey and Bailey and Becky fan, and uh, I could speak for an hour about Becky Lynch and her whole gimmick. Regardless, yes. So I'll pick Charlotte, Sasha, Becky Bailey. That's my that's my order. Ross, you're one of the the many people who have Bailey as their fourth. And 
for lack of time, I will not debate you on that because there's lots of reasons why I feel like Bailey should be higher. But um, you guys both have Charlotte first, which is rare. You guys, please touch on why. Because a lot of people Charlotte's might feel she's gone stale and whatnot like that, but overbooked, oversaturated. Good. Good. I hope they feel that way. Because they want her to lose. That's how wrestling works. That's how getting into your head works. That's what you should want. You should have someone you root against because they always win, because they're overbooked, because they're overhyped. She's Ric Flair's daughter, for God's sake. She is everything he was in the early 90s right now for women's wrestling. Charlotte Flair is the best women's wrestler as a complete package in the world. And the longer she stays at the top of her game, the longer people are going to hate her, the more she's going to get over. Perfect. Good. Love it. Number one for a reason. He is the, okay. My, my, my co-host on my podcast says she is the best women's wrestler ever. I may have to agree with him because she is the best overall performer in the women's division right now. And she may go down as the best women's wrestler ever. And that's not just the titles. She does everything. Well, I have not seen her. Okay. She may have been in a subpar match. I don't think I can blame any of the matches that I would call subpar her fault. That speaks to a level of, you know, say what you want about just her overexposure and whatnot in ring promos, everything. She's probably a better heel than a baby face that, that she'll ever be, but she's always going to be a character that you have to pay attention to. That is going to be booked strong and everything she's in you as a viewer are going to care about whether you hate her or you love her, you are going to care about her. And by the way, any of the top free agents from any company would kill to work with her. That says something. That's why Charlotte Flair is the number one. Okay. I like those reasonings. I will not try to debate you guys on those. Now, two more things. And I want you guys to let people know how they can find you. Things uh, that you guys are working on currently. Ben brought this up very early into the genesis of this podcast today. And I thought it was interesting. And I said something that he took very very much offense to when I said I stay in my lane. He took it the wrong way. And I didn't mean it that way at all. But we always have the Nas debate on this podcast. Jacob DeLawrence, who's not here today, bless his soul. He brought up something months ago where he said, Chelsea Green is mid like Nas's discography, comparing the two. And we have debated this to the, to the sun comes up with every single guest. So my question to you guys, when you look at Nas as a rapper, his history, his career, his legacy, and you look at his discography, would you say there is more bad than there is good? Let's keep the Chelsea Green stuff out of here, but that was the comparison. But that is the debate we have every single podcast with all of our hosts, or sorry, all of our guests. I'm assuming Ben wants me to go first, so I will. Um, I believe, uh, and again, I'm not totally brushed up on my music. I believe... Uh, most people go off of, what is it, the Billboard Top 200 or something when it comes to either sales or rankings of albums. Is that still a thing, Cedric? It's still a thing, but it's okay. more so about, I guess this is more so about um, how you listen to the artists. 
And I've had many people come on this podcast and name a number of albums as throwaway albums or albums that don't age well, things like that. But if you want to go solely based on hits, that is another way you can rank. Okay. So I will say that you, you could probably list a, a bunch of his albums that I like a lot of his music on. Now, I won't say every album's a hit. I don't think there's very many artists in the history of music in which every CD, everything is a hit. That's, that's just the way that works. Um, but when it comes to his discography as a whole, um, he's, he's, got, he's got solid stuff for most of his career. I've not heard most of his new album, uh, but from what I've heard, it's pretty good. Um, but if you're, if you're asking me for consistency of longevity of Nas actually putting out consistently good work, I will agree. Your co-host so, right. That's He's my mid. short and simple answer. Your co-host don't right. You, He's mid. Ben, don't you dare come on this podcast and split the vote. Uh, he's he's mid. Sorry, you don't get anything off of this. He hasn't sold. He hasn't had a platinum album since God's Son. That's eighteen years ago, buddy. He literally has a legal aged drought in which he's been relevant. Life is good. The last time album. he was super relevant in the mainstream eye was when he did I Can, which is a brutal, brutal example of what a song can be. He's mid. He's way off the beaten path. I would not compare him to Chelsea Green. That's not fair to Chelsea Green. Ben claim on here after I put him over in a multitude of ways and yeah, really man. split the vote. No, wow. He's just not. He split the vote in the most he disrespectful way. He did that collab with way. Kanye. How dare you? It's tar- terrible. It's, it's, awful. it's okay, Cedric. I'm on your side in this. How debate, okay? dare you? <laughs> when we just said King's Disease was a good album off the air, Life is Good is it also, you just, you're just doing this to be cynical at this point. How dare you? It, it's working. It's getting to you. It's getting to you the way Charlotte Flair gets to uh, regular wrestling fans. Wow. That's what it's supposed to um, be. We're going to cut this short. Um, last thing we got to do is because this is a more controversial topic within the world of wrestling, and us fans see it on the outside looking in. The third-party ban has claimed its first victim. And there's a lot of things circulating with this where we saw Zelina Vega fired, um, not due to her support of unionization, but because she did not want to give up her Twitch channel as well as her OnlyFans account that's dedicated to her uh, cosplaying. Now, a lot of superstars have been very vocal about this. I think the most, the highest grossing superstar might have, might have even been Roman Reigns with Big E shortly after, making a lot of money on the third-party sites because they're not touring. They have to create content to make money. They're using their likeness or even their personal names or their created names to make more revenue for themselves during this trying time of 2020. Do we feel like it's fair that WWE is trying to cut into that revenue that they are creating on their own? Or, I mean, a talent like Zelina Vega going to waste is obviously a shame, uh, of course. That, that sucks, but it might have a trickle-down effect for other superstars in the company as well. What do you guys think? As a natural talent, uh, Thea Trinidad, a.k.a. Zelina Vega, uh, will get over on her own doing the things she wants to do. You know, we live in a different time, as you brought up. You can use your fame to do a lot of things. Now, 
it's interesting that she was one of those people who said, look, I, I don't care. You can fire me. And they did because she doesn't care. She's not in a position right now where they've given her anything to really work with. And while they might have given her fame and notoriety on a level that allows her to do these kind of things, I personally think she's she's well inclined to go ahead and do that for herself. Whether or not WWE is in the right on it, I mean, they're already making an attempt to create their own wedge into those third-party platforms to try and appease everybody. They're going to be the bad guy in this situation no matter what because they're the corporate business making a decision that will benefit them. And people always seem to fail to see the forest through the trees on that kind of stuff. I think it's a sucky position for sure to be put in, but at the end of the day, she's going to be fine. She's going to do quite well. If there's any victim in this story, really, it's probably Alistair Black because he's still working there. And knowing how many weeks in a row Lana got put through a table because Rusev wasn't allowed to just play video games, uh, things probably aren't going to go so hot. All right. I'm going to take probably the very unpopular opinion and just make it my own because it is my own. Um, I understand that there's the whole independent contractor thing and the fact that they can't unionize. I'm going to get into neither one of those topics because, quite frankly, I just really don't want to. Um, So I will simplify and say, when you sign a contract with World Wrestling Entertainment, they own you. You are now I know that that term owned can be thrown around or whatever, but you both agreed to a contract that says you work for them. This is what you make. A lot of people have what's called downside guarantees, which a lot of these people are going to be making, even though there's less money going around because there's less people that are going to their shows. In fact, there's no people going to their shows. So You're asking these people to not make money using their WWE likeness on platforms that are not endorsed by WWE. I can't really fault WWE for being upset that people like Paige are making $40,000 a month on the side while using her name in WWE for not WWE purposes. So if these people want to do all these things, they don't have to work for WWE. So I guess my whole thing is, does it suck that this is the position that both sides are in because it's gotten to this point? Yes. But you also can't have people like AJ Styles going on Twitch or wherever platform he said, where he's going on there and publicly bashing a company for a decision about his friends and Paul Heyman and that not get punished because you're basically saying, well, I'm AJ Styles representing WWE and I think our product sucks. Like, they're not going to let that fly. Any company you work for is not going to let you publicly bash them or publicly make money off of them without them seeing part of the profit. Fair or not, that's the way it is. If you want to go work for another company where there's less restrictions, don't work for WWE. Again, I realize that's a very unpopular opinion, and people say, well, you should be able to make money off your likeness, all stuff. I get it. But if you sign a contract where you agree to certain stipulations of a contract in which both sides agree to it, you have to honor that deal and they have to honor that deal. And whether there's a buyout or, you know, there are other petty examples of people just not being, 
you know, allowed to be out of their contracts. Those are all different situations. But in this case, WWE is basically saying, okay, um, these people were getting away with it, whether we cared about it or not. Now we are stepping in and yeah, they're going to look bad because they have to look out for the interest of themselves. So I have to side with the company on this as unpopular of a decision as that is. And now Thea Trinidad can go do her own thing, not be under the WWE banner and do whatever she wants. So there you go. I actually appreciate both you guys' views. And Ross, you bring up a very good point. And it is like a murky line just because you're talking about independent contractors. And we've seen Dark Side of the Ring series and all these other things where they're talking about Hey, the, the lack of thereof of insurances, things like that. And it seems like WWE has some more skeletons in the closet where they're treating these uh, treating these talents like employees um, with the banner of an independent contractor. Eric Bischoff actually had a statement he came out uh, with this week after the backlash of Selena's firing and saying, hey, be careful what you wish for. There are certain things that you'll get as an employee. Um, there's disadvantages as well to unionization. So there is blurred lines of both sides of the fence. So I appreciate both of you guys' opinions there. I think it's very unfortunate that we've gotten here just because everybody's having a hard time. If somebody's make like, for example, you brought up Paige, she's not being used on TV or anything like that. I don't think she does kickoff shows. If she's using her, her name to make more money, so what? But I mean, I guess I would have to see exactly what WWE is doing as far as creating their own lane there and how they are trying to monetize off the third party sites to say, I guess, what's the benefit of the wrestlers to stay in? Are they still getting a large chunk of that? While, like, I don't know. I would have to see how they're making it fair for both parties. But like you said, it is an unpopular opinion. It's unfortunate. I feel like they lost the best manager they've had in years in Zelina Vega. But I also feel that, she probably does make a lot of money outside of WWE to where it's just a small dent or sorry, a small setback for her. If, if anything, well, we have rambled for two hours and this has honestly been a great time. This is the first turnbuckle reunion in years. Sands, Britt Ruard, Drew Sexton, Josh Green, and I will not mention the other guy's name because Ben will get pissed off. Um, I so, think his name was uh, Nope, don't know You know what? You know what's also great Is that we spent this two hours of time Talking about something we love with wrestling And Ben did not mention the time That I showed up to the wrong event So thank you for that, Ben So with that being said This has been the Believe in NXT podcast I want these gentlemen To let you guys know Where they can find you on show social media, some things that you guys are working on within the internet wrestling community right now. Uh, so you can find uh, uh, my wrestling podcast, the Double Turn podcast, uh, where we talk uh, current wrestling, of course, uh, past and present, AEW, NXT, WWE, Impact. Uh, we talk it all on that show. Again, it's the Double Turn podcast. You can find it on one of our many platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, Radio Radio Public, Pocket Cast, CastBox, and the Anchor app. We normally record on Thursdays, and those normally drop on Fridays. We will have our Survivor Series preview and prediction show coming up 
uh, before the pay-per-view, which is, of course, this weekend. So make sure you check out, again, the Double Turn Wrestling Podcast. And you can find me on uh, Twitter at Darth Benya, D-A-R-T-H-B-E-N-Y-A. I will probably approve you if you follow. Um, Truth of the matter is, I kind of keep mostly to internal debates on a lot of my wrestling contributions these days. But uh, if you're interested, I am currently working on and just finishing up a composite of uh, scoring of the greatest Survivor Series competitors in history. Uh, and once rumble season comes around, you will see a lot more content from me as well in regards to some numbers there. So once again, on Twitter at Darth Benya, and every once in a while I'll appear here or with Ross or wherever the world needs me. That's kind of my plan. I also forgot to mention, uh, my Instagram handle is real boss 85. My Twitter handle is boss Ross TDT. And yes, I have also joined the ranks of parlor. That's right. Everybody. Parlor is also where you can find me. That is also at Boss the Real Boss 85. Perfect. Thank you, guys. And of course, this has been a Believe in NXT podcast. Make sure you follow me at Seds the Answer on Instagram at Said Says on Twitter. That is C E double D underscore S A Y S. Also, follow my tag team partner, underscore J Della, who wasn't here. And I'm thankful for these gentlemen from the Turnbuckle to join us this evening to have a great Survivor Series chat about the pay-per-view and also the current states of NXT. Make sure you follow their podcast, follow their work, follow their writings, everything they do. Like I said before, these are two of the smartest men I know in the internet wrestling community. And they have honestly educated me a lifetime's worth on the wrestling business and made me fall in love with it. Again, this has been the Believe in NXT podcast. Again, follow the Believe in NXT Twitter. I will use it. I will wear my Cameron Grimes shirt. I will make a TikTok video before 2020 is over. I promise these things. I will own up to it. Thank you guys for listening. See you next time.